0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Tillman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. It's great having you here once again. And um, if you've been listening every week, you know that this is a a show dedicated to empowering you with truthful information so you can make the most informed decision possible regarding your health and well-being. And today we have another really important conversation. My guest is Dr. Jean Walden, and let's talk a little bit about his background and uh, share with you more about Jean. Dr. Jean is Emeritus Professor of Pediatrics, Pathology, and Decision Science at the University of New Mexico, former Chief of Cardiology, um, um, Pediatrics, uh, University of Chicago, former Director, Center for Healthcare Policy at Texas Public Policy Foundation, former Chairman, Ronald McDonald House Charities in New Mexico. And former director, director, board of New Mexico Health Insurance Exchange is the author of 12 books. Latest is multi-award winning Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare, which is really the topic of our conversation today, States Care and Market-Based Medicine. So, uh, Baker Pairs was a really shocking conversation with my guest today because we're talking about curing the cancer in the U.S. Healthcare. And, um, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Dean Wallman to the show. So, Dean, thank you for being here and for the great work you're doing. Um
1: Well, I'm trying. Thank you for
0: having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. I mean, you've been so involved in policy making for healthcare for so long and I'm sure you know, you have been an expert and called upon for your expertise in, in the formation of the health care policy in the United States. So your latest book is called "Curing the Cancer in the U.S. Healthcare." In U.S. Healthcare, why did you call it "Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare"? Why? What? What do you mean there is a cancer in U.S. Healthcare? For people who don't know,
1: well, um, uh, it takes a minute to explain that, but it's actually fairly straightforward. If you think about what cancer is, cancer is a normal cell, you know, an intestinal cell, a breast. Whatever that um, stops paying attention to what your body tells it to do, and starts to simply grabbing all the, informa- uh, the all the energy it can get and growing wherever it can, ignoring signals to say, "Hey, stop growing! Uh, you know you're getting in the way of other things and and functions." So that's what cancer is. Well, healthcare. Uh, certainly in the United States and, in my opinion, in most other countries where government is totally in charge of health care, has a cancer or a malignancy. And that malignancy is actually the bureaucracy that has e- developed, evolved, been created over the last 60, 70, 80 years, where now in the United States the bureaucracy that governs healthcare, regulates it, oversees it, enforces its regulations, advises, and so forth, consumes more than half of all the spending that the healthcare system spends on, that the government spends on, quote, healthcare, or should I say that people spend on healthcare. So when you look at these numbers of how much money 4.3 trillion dollars the u.s spent uh last year on healthcare. care two trillion of that didn't go to care it went to you know bureaucrats and regulators and compliance officers and managers and consultants and billing and coding and all the people who never see or touch a patient who don't provide care. So my real concern is that healthcare has a malignancy, which is diverting money away from care for patients into payments to bureaucrats, basically. So if we only want to talk about money, we also need to talk about the whole issue of medical autonomy and, and people in charge of their own bodies, which Uh, certainly in the United States is no longer true, um, uh, and COVID is the best example. Um, If we only want to talk or start talking about money, that's $2 trillion that the malignancy has denied the American public care. And so when I look at, at these numbers, I go, you know, people are waiting for months and months to get in and see a doctor. Well, if we had two trillion more dollars to pay nurses and doctors and therapists and uh, uh physicians assistants et cetera et cetera uh, instead of waiting four months, you could wait four hours
0: what um okay. what is what what is the average cost for health insurance these days in the united States for ah, a family very good that? very
1: very good and important question the fact is If you look at the data, this year, the average American family will spend – now, uh got to be really careful about how this is interpreted by the people who are listening. The average American family will spend $32,065 on health care. Now, people will turn around and say, no, I didn't spend that amount. Well, actually, you did, because what happened is – that your employer took um, thirty-two thousand sixty-five. Well, actually, no, it's not true. The employer took twenty-five thousand dollars of compensation you didn't get, and sent it to the uh, insurance company. Now you paid roughly seven thousand dollars in uh, copays and uh, deductibles and. Uh, things of that sort, so you actually paid out of pocket the average family between five and seven thousand dollars for care but what 's happening is the bulk of spending is money that goes from employers to insurance companies, and if you think about it, if you 're a healthy family, you might st- sit there and say, Well, wait a minute, you telling me that I could have thirty two thousand dollars to put in an HSA and then let yeah. me uh, uh, shop for my care and uh, pay the doctor and have all these cash-only prices, which are a hell of a lot cheaper, between 10 and 40% of the actual cost. I'll tell you about that in a second, prove that in a second. Um, gee, uh, uh, is that what you're saying, Waltman? And the answer is, yeah, I want the American public to have control of their own money and go shop for care. Now, I'll give you a great example, it's actually in the book. Uh I think it is. Anyway, I was on the radio uh, maybe 2 3 years ago. Um and uh you know, it was uh, one of these call-in shows and um uh, a young woman called in and said, "Um I don't actually have a question, Dr. Waldman. I have to tell you my story." Okay. She says, "I'm a veteran um and I have severe back problems. I used to be a runner, and I really enjoyed running, and now I can barely get out of bed because I have spine issues that need surgery. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, said I. She said, so I went to my VA hospital, and they looked at me, and they did a bunch of x-rays, and they said, yeah, you need neurosurgery. You need a fairly extensive operation on your spine, and uh, yeah, we can do it. We'll schedule it for about nine months from now and, uh, the cost is $126,000, but the good news is, um, young lady or, uh, young woman, the good news is that Tricare, your insurance, your military insurance will pay for 60% of the cost. Well, wait a minute. Are you telling me I've got to put in $52,000? So this, well, yeah, that's the, that, I they only pay 60% and our, our charge is $126,000. So she said, well, I, you know, I can't afford that. Um, so she starts looking around on the, uh, internet and finds, uh, a really wonderful guy that you probably should have on your show called Keith Smith. He started a cash only surgical center in Oklahoma and his, cash-only price for the same operation that she needed was $11,250. Soup to wow. including What including surgery. Price. Sorry? Oh, but she was, oh, what an
0: inflated price she was given. Shocking.
1: 126000 down to 11000 So So, um, and oh, by the way, they told her, that they could do it in about 10 days. She's got to come there, and they got to review her X-rays and actually examine her, put hands on her to make sure that uh, she was right for the surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then she would spend one day in the hospital after surgery and then spend um, another several days in a recovery facility that they had outside the hospital, and then she could go home, and they'd follow up with her uh, uh a personal doctor back in wherever she lived, uh, was actually Albuquerque, um, so, which is where I was at the time. And my whole point is that that $126,000, start with the fact that half of that or more goes to, you know, the billers and coders in the system and the bureaucrats and the lawyers and the consultants and the, uh, legislators and the, all the people who never uh, touch a patient. So, um, and by the way, uh, uh, the Oklahoma Surgical Center, which is a cash only, um, by the way, there are now a whole series of cash only surgery centers around the country, four of them here in Texas, uh, with these dramatically reduced prices. And oh, by the way, they'll tell the patient, oh, we've done whatever number, let's say 500 of those surgeries and here are our results when she asked for the va to give her their experience they said oh well we don't keep those records so yeah we've done this before and just trust us Um, and that's not the way you do business and not the way you should do business but that's the way it is
0: and dean so many people make decisions about what whatever jobs they're going to be employed by based on the, the ins- health insurance um, offers that are included in their job perks, right? That yes. that's a major decision for people. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's
1: absolutely true. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, quite a while ago, but my uh, brother-in-law, who's older than me, said, "Well, he kept working. Why?" Well, because as long as he was even a part-time employee of the company, he had insurance coverage and it was a a very large amount of money that was given to the insurance company in his name. Now, here's what I keep saying. Well, instead of giving the tax advantage of that money to the uh, employer, let the employer Give that money, still tax advantage, to the consumer, that is the patient, or for that matter, the healthy public, and let them decide how to spend their care, how to uh, spend their money, how much money to give insurance companies and go to the insurance company and say, well, your uh, um, uh, premiums are too high and this other guy will give me the same benefits for less. So. What are you going to do, uh, insurance uh, company? And suddenly you'll have competition for the consumer's dollars rather than competition for the lowest bid contract they can get with a health plan. And that's what we have now and what we need to get rid of. We need to get the people back in charge of both their money and, quite frankly, their bodies. It's one of the things that bothers me beyond uh, it, it actually makes me crazy to realize that neither I as a physician nor my patient has the ultimate decision of what medical care will be given to the patient.
0: So h- how did we go so wrong? How did we get off the rails on having having sovereignty over our own health care choices?
1: Yeah, yeah. That. It's actually uh, fascinating if you look at the history. I was a history major in college, by the way. If you look at the history, it started actually here in Texas where uh, a Dallas-based hospital started a prepayment. Before that, there was no prepayment. Before, it was about 1962 or 61 or something like that. Um, Before that... um, what happened was people had insurance for lost wages. When you got sick, you had insurance that maybe even paid for a little bit of your bill after you paid the vast majority of it, but the insurance was for lost wages. That's basically what, uh, quote, health insurance was, uh, back in the 50s and 40s. In the, uh, in the Second World War, um, what happened was uh, there were um, uh, uh, price controls. Uh, so the government said you can't uh, pay people more money uh, because we can't afford it and we have to use this money for, you know, tanks and bombs and whatever and rifles. So uh, p- the employers had to find some way that they could keep, their employees, especially in a competitive market with other employers, and what they got legislation passed was, okay, well, we can, uh, give a benefit, which isn't actually money, so we're still in, uh, the price control, uh, uh, system, but we can give money to insurance companies for the benefit of the employee and that way the employee will want to stay in my business, whatever my business is. And so they got legislation passed. And so they, that is the employers had tax advantage that is pre, pay taxes on the money they didn't give the employees, but gave insurance companies and then said, well, here's a benefit for you. You now have health insurance that will prepay whatever benefits uh, you have listed. And that has gone on since 1940, either two or three. I forget which year they passed the legislation. So we've been under that system where people don't get the compensation that they could get because it goes to the insurance company. And that's how we ended up with insurance companies making decisions or what they authorize for payment or not um, uh, for you instead of your deciding as a patient, A, who's going to be your doctor, B, uh, do you uh, agree with his uh, prices, whatever his or her prices are, C, when you're going to have done whatever, D, uh, you you, uh, agree to be done. That no longer exists, but it would exist if if people controlled their own money and right now we have a third party payment structure which is as i said in the in the book is a cancer it has taken over the lives of people and frankly that third party is the government which brings me to covid i mean I, i can't actually you're in australia now so uh, I can pick on Australia just like I can pick on the United States. <laughs> with 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 uh, COVID, uh, which we can discuss in a minute about whether it actually was an existential threat and a danger to to life and limb, certainly of healthy people. But th- uh, that being aside, the United States literally mandated the uh, injection of an experimental, untested, I repeat, untested. They said they tested it, but they didn't, and I'll give you a great example in one second. Ladies, listen to this one. An untested therapy, and they mass required it for the entire population in the United States, and if you didn't agree to it, you lost your job, doctors lost their licenses, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they enforced this what so-called vaccination taking away the individual's right to decide what's good for him or her um and uh ladies uh since you have a a large uh, lady uh, audience let me tell you this right now uh, the mra vaccination was never repeat never tested on pregnant women yet The American Obstetrical Society not only Mm -hmm. encouraged women to uh, take the shot, but told them it was safe despite the fact there was no test to prove that. And meanwhile, the association got a bonus from the Mm -hmm. American government from Washington for the people they vaccinated with this mRNA gene therapy. So... Um my point is that uh Americans uh and now I'll talk about Australians in a second Americans lost their medical freedom speaking of Australia I don't know about other countries but I know that Australia actually implemented quarantine camps for those who either had covid we didn't say they were sick they simply had a positive covid test or were uh in contact with somebody who has a positive had a positive covid test now excuse me but you know australia has been uh fr- forgive me famous for the freedom that it supposedly uh, that the people in australia supposedly had and yet they created these what were effectively internment or concentration uh, camps they weren't death camps, but they were concentration camps uh taking away people's medical freedom um excuse me, but uh we've gone a little too far
0: with government control mhm, mhm, yeah, well, I was in quarantine when I came back to Australia and I was put in a hotel room um for um for two weeks. And, uh, you know, you had no, no, no controls of what went on during that time and how you were tested. And, and you got charged for it as well. $3,000. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Yes. Yeah, of course you did.
0: $3,000 for being locked up in a hotel room, which you couldn't leave, couldn't get out of. Yeah, the,
1: I, I read this so. article of uh, two young people who actually uh, escaped from one of the concentration areas and then the police found them and brought them back and i thought to myself wait a minute you be you'd what,
0: you'd ha- what happened be. to freedom <laughs> um and um i mean i mean this the the whole covid situation where treatments were mandated that were unproven and as a result there are dire consequences people died we know that you know so that yep. was the and, and doctors were forbidden to do treatments that they wanted to do. That would be life saving, and that's an example. That's a terrifying example. They were forbidden. Yep. By that system,
1: right? I mean, so, ivermectin uh... is a great example. But as a matter of fact, uh, I I listened uh, to an interview with Fauci. I can't call him doctor because it makes me crazy because <laughs> he's never taken care of a patient. So I don't. Uh, consider him a doctor. Yeah, he's got MD after his name. But anyway, uh, I I listened to him say um, that um, uh, not only uh, must you take the shot, but then you have to have the boosters, and um, uh, he's the one who actually coined the phrase, although Biden used it repeatedly, he coined the phrase, a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And it's like, wait a minute. I mean, what happened to, to medical autonomy? It's a phrase that is in, is in the, uh, in every, uh, law book that basically says, uh, you have the right to control your body. Well, well, then how does the government have the right to control my body? Yet they did that and, and we accepted it. Uh, and frankly, so did you and so did the Brits and, 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 uh, um, I don't know why there wasn't a huge uprising saying, "Wait a minute! You know, you're not in control of me. I'm in control of me." Yeah.
0: But well, um, there happened. were uprisings here, but um, he- heavy police uh, presence. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Australia, your your um, uh, head, or uh, I think she was the former head of the Medical Society, whatever the name of it is, tried to um, uh, resist the um, uh, drive to vaccinate everybody and to uh, uh, coerce them and so forth, and lost her job and and was uh, brought up under investigation for this. And it's like, wait a minute. Uh, uh, Government uh, uh, regulators shouldn't be Telling real doctors how they should take care of their patients—only the doctor and the patient should be making those decisions. But you know, uh, you—I want to semi-change the subject. I really wanted to tell you about uh, something you uh, you mentioned to me. uh, I hope you don't mind my saying this—that you uh, had uh, hip surgery. Is that true?
0: Yes. Yes, I've had it. I just. 8 weeks ago I had a total hip replacement.
1: Uh well and it went well and you're healthy, I hope?
0: And I'm I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. Oh, um, and um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I can say i I'm, fully recovered um, walking and riding my bicycle and going to the gym no pain, nothing.
1: That yeah. that's just that's just, you know, makes me smile. Well, I will tell you a little opposite story um and that is I had uh, they're both deceased now because I'm old. Uh, I had two mothers.
0: Can yes. I just interject? Um, sure. By the fact, the fact that I made such a, a an impressive recovery was due to the fact that I worked with holistic solutions and nutrition and alternative approaches to healing that were profound and being able to regenerate the the body's healing potential
1: hey you you don't that was my choice
0: you don't have to try and convince me
1: i i will uh, to to add to that i will tell you that it was standard of practice uh when i was in medical school anyway which admittedly was back in the dark ages but it was standard of practice for somebody after a hip replacement to stay in bed immobile for six weeks okay Mm -hmm. well that is absolute malpractice with the Uh current data that we have my point is that uh, a lot of things that we think are good medicine um, Mm -hmm. are in fact bad for the patients and we need to we doctors need to pay more attention to what the patients say they need and their bodies need and they want Mm -hmm. rather than saying well, you have to take this medicine for your blood pressure. Well, instead, let's discuss why your blood pressure is so high, and maybe we can ad- address uh, your anxiety or uh, your issues at work or whatever so that your blood pressure, will- oh, by the way, you know, you, uh, you want diet pills. Well, excuse me, uh, if you have morbid obesity, um, maybe you should reconsider your diet uh, and start eating healthy and eating less and so forth to take responsibility for yourself. But instead, we just put, we doctors, just push, you know, uh, belly surgery and uh, uh, medicines that are actually dangerous for you and uh, make you crazy and raise your blood pressure, just what a, an obese person doesn't need, um, um so yeah i'm all for um for want of a better term tried and true medicine including stuff that has been around for in the in the sort of uh uh alternate medicine literature for uh hundreds of years mhm 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 i mean you talk to yeah. japanese mm-hmm. people and they'll tell you oh well we have a I don't know what there's a, a name for it, but basically it's a pharmacist doctor who has all sorts of herbs and teas and things of that nature, uh, salves the, that actually help people, and you don't need to take some expensive um, and uh, medicine that has side effects. So um, I'm all for it. I'm I'm with you there.
0: And um, can I just say one of the most um, terrifying things that I read in your book was the um, was how medic the Medicare is b- becoming bankrupt and it may not be functioning in the next couple of years, which is a, which is really terrifying thought that you won't have the access to services through Medicare. So, um, uh, how, how do we prepare for that? Do we need to prepare for that, that eventuality? So well, I the answer is, cl-
1: is clearly yes. The whole system, uh, was structured, uh, financially, structured, um, uh, improperly, um, uh, as in financially unstable, um, and, uh, there are a whole bunch of reasons which I can go into that aren't, uh, that would take too long to do, but the bottom line is, when I write that it's the Medicare Trust, there's Medicare Part A and Part B. The hospital part, which is the Medicare, which is Part B of the trust, is actually for hospital care, the doctor as office care won't go broke because money that, that people are currently putting into it um, is paying for that. The problem is there isn't enough money in the hospital part in order to pay for hospital care and that's what's going to go uh, broke by 2026 before 2026 which is only three years from now and when i say that it's not me it's not dean saying that it is a report by the trustees of the medicare trust it's right in there in the literature so you don't have to believe me you can read the trustees themselves who say uh, the trust the hospital part is going to run out of money in less than five years and so the the answer to that is, well, what can people uh, do to prepare for that? Well, what I'd like to have happen, which won't, is that uh, Medicare should literally go away, and uh, the whole trust should pay out uh people who have paid in money mm-hmm. and let them put it in an HSA and let them buy their own insurance, and take care of their own care. That's not going to happen, even though that's the best answer to the problem. What the politicians will almost certainly do is they'll simply print more money and put that those fiat dollars, which, of course, as we know, are just our children's and our grandchildren's future that we're making them pay for our current uh, bills, they're just going to print more money, put that money into the trust and say, oh, well, the trust is now solvent. When in point of fact, all they've mm-hmm. done is put off the date of insolvency at the cost yeah. of more and more uh, debt. I mean, the debt is now, the national debt in this country is now 32 or $33 trillion. Now, to give you a perspective, the entire GDP... For every nation on Earth, if you combine it all for the entire planet, the a GDP of 183 or 184 nations is around $90 trillion. We in this country are in debt for more than a third of the GDP of planet Earth. Right. I mean, hello? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I wish I could tell you that there's a way for the individual for to to prepare for this. The only thing I can say is try and put as much money as you can into an HSA, um, and uh, you're going to have to deal with your problems with uh, catastrophic insurance that you're going to buy for yourself. Um, and and that's, Dean, that's, can
0: we can we can, can we let people know where the health savings account is? I discovered sure. HSAs, and I put money into an HSA, and I had no problem using that money for whatever service I wanted.
1: All right. Uh, I was, right now, uh, and I don't, know, I don't know what your HSA rules are in um, Australia, but in this country there is No, it limit. wasn't in
0: Australia. It was, it was in oh, the States.
1: Oh, good, good. In this country, yeah, but, the good news is, now you can keep the edge. It used to be use it or lose it. At the end of a year, if you didn't use the money, it, it disappeared. That's not true anymore. It now does roll over. However, at present, there still is a rule against putting more money than I forget what it is. It's either six or $8,000 per person in the family, but some significant but not terribly large number that you can put away. When you put that money into uh, the HSA, uh, which you can do tax-free, when you put that into the HSA, you have to use it for medical expenses, but you can use it for whatever medical expense you want or need, whether it's uh, your kid's, uh, God forbid, pneumonia, or vaccinations, or your hernia repair, or whatever you like, you can use it for that, and, and you can go shop for a cash only or a concierge or whatever you like, doctor, Um, and those are much cheaper and to be blunt, much better than uh, the insurance driven uh, um, system that I lived in for almost 50 years. Uh, I think that uh, the whole uh, direct pay concierge, call it whatever you like, uh, system is the way to go for uh, um, primary care. Um, uh, uh, and so if you have an HSA of, say, uh, for a family of ten or $15,000, um, you can afford easily to pay the, what is it, $50 a month for a, a child and as much as 75 to 100 for a person. We'll do the math, that's like a couple of thousand dollars a year for your medical care through a direct pay doctor and that's what i recommend people do
0: it, it was an amazing discovery when i encountered and if people want to know where how to find an hsa you just start searching with so many companies have hsas and it is yes. a deduction isn't it? tax deduction the money you put in there and it's like a credit card you can just use it to pay whatever service yep. you want it's done on your debit uh, you, card
1: you you're absolutely right it is clearly uh what everybody should be doing um and it it's uh, uh distressing to me that so few people know about it and know that they can take at least some control over their uh lives their decisions and their own money yes it won't cover god forbid you're in an automobile accident or uh your father has a heart attack, or God forbid you do. Um um but even, you know, uh the um hip surgery, good example. The hip surgery um is around ninety to a hundred thousand dollars in a university hospital with insurance and all the rest of this stuff. Okay? Uh Keith's uh um, uh Smith's uh system is, it depends on a bunch of things but between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars for uh, a hip replacement okay well if you've got you know fifteen or twenty thousand dollars especially if you've been putting money away for a couple of years you easily can have twenty thirty thousand dollars in your HSA you go pay for your hip replacement instead of having an insurance with a huge deductible and then after that they're going to raise your premiums because your risk went up. Um, yeah, uh, it's just like an automobile accident. You have an automobile accident. They cover the cost of whatever happens, God forbid medical, but certainly your car. And then your premiums go up. Well, the same thing happens if you, uh, you, uh, need a hip replacement or you need uh, heart surgery or whatever. Your premiums go up. So, um, hello, use the HSA.
0: Yeah.
1: And I never
0: had anyone monitoring what I used it for. So there, you know, there wasn't that external control over what I could or couldn't. You know, spend. I'm very pleased.
1: I'm very pleased that you say that. I worry that that could change.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, uh, well, wouldn't surprise me. But it was, it was the best thing I ever discovered was a health savings account
1: and uh and because
0: it was tax deductible i mean how good you know i mean if you you don't get many benefits these days with tax deduction so you know
1: and when you think about it when you think about it not for you or for me and forgive me for us old people but if you you think about a family of uh you know uh uh, uh, say uh 40 to 50 year old parents and a couple of children and they're healthy you know they need a, a vaccination for uh tetanus because he fell down and, and cut himself or, you know, God forbid you have a broken clavicle or whatever, okay, they are healthy. They can put in, uh, I don't know the exact amount, but for a family of four probably on the order of $25,000 or $20,000 into the HSA. We'll do that for a couple of years and suddenly you've got some real money in there um, yeah. that you have control over. So I encourage everybody who's listening, uh, especially the young, healthy. Uh, you know, the young, healthy go, well, I'm immortal, and uh, you know, I don't need to worry about this sort of stuff. I'll worry about that when I'm older. No, don't do that. Start putting the money away right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's always a shock. I'm sure if we had open minds, some people would be calling in and telling us their horror stories of what they, how they, how their insurance. Health insurance controlled what they could do and couldn't do, and you know, and prevented them from moving forward with appropriate procedures. Um, well, I'm sure all- you heard that
1: as as a, as a pediatric cardiologist myself, um, that was almost a day-to-day occurrence and a source of enormous frustration. And I will explain. My my patients are usually uh, babies or very small children. Who have uh, major problems their whole their hearts are not developed normally they got a hole where there shouldn't be a hole there's a valve that didn't open uh, blah 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 things of that nature and many if not most of them need heart surgery well we're a very small um, uh, world uh, pediatric cardiology and kind of everybody knows everybody else especially we know their surgical results so I as a physician want the best thing possible for my patient. We'll call him patient X, baby X. And there's a, a my surgeon at my hospital does okay with whatever that baby has, but the best person who really has the best results is somewhere else. So what do I want to mm-hmm. do as a physician? I want to give my baby, my baby patient, the best chance at survival and I want to send them to that doctor who has the best results. Well, whoops, sorry, Medicaid says, no, 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 Dr. Waldman, uh, have, we have a contract with this hospital, mm-hmm. whatever the hospital is, and that's where the baby's going and that's the way it is. Well, I take a look and find out that that hospital has not so good results with that particular mm-hmm. condition that the baby has. Now what am I supposed to do? Well, the fact is, I actually, <laughs> I actually had a way of getting around it, but, you know, there aren't many people who can do what I did, which is, uh, one of my good friends was a, uh, the, uh, uh, Channel 5 news anchor for, at the time I was living in Albuquerque, and, uh, she was a friend and, and she was a very good lady. And so I talked to the medical director of that particular health plan, and I said, well, if you won't send my baby to California where they have good results and the likelihood is that she'll, she'll survive, okay, then I guess I'll just have to talk to uh, Carla mm-hmm. Aragon, that was the, the lady's name, and uh, please watch the 11 o'clock news. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the way I got around uh, these uh, contracts that provided for less than optimal care for my patients. But the trouble is the vast majority of doctors don't have that kind of leverage, and so they're stuck with sending the patient where the insurance company says to go, not where the best results are. And that's a true statement. Wherever you go in this country, um, the insurance company says where the surgery will be done and by whom, not the patient, or the uh, referring doctor. And that's a big, huge problem. What about
0: Medicaid? What, what about health care for people who don't have money, can't, can't afford I had a guest on recently who lives in San Francisco, and he wrote a book from his time working with homeless people. And the stories in that book are just heartbreaking, right? And oh, I...
1: Uh, no, I'm sure he's a right, b reporting the facts as they occurred. C, I can tell you that that story I just told about the babies was Medicaid, and and most of my professional career, my babies, because you know children are covered by Medicaid or CHIP, and most of my patients were young people who uh, uh, didn't have insurance, et cetera, et cetera, and they had government insurance. So what about Medicaid? Well, Medicaid pays so poorly that, depending on the state, between 35 and 55% of the, pay, of the physicians in that state simply cannot afford to take Medicaid patients, so they don't. So what happens to these people who sign up, oh, uh, uh, Obamacare massively increased the number of people in Medicaid with Medicaid insurance, but actually reduced payments to physicians so even fewer uh, physicians could afford to take Medicaid patients. So what happened? It's what I call the seesaw effect. More patients had insurance, and the access to care went down. Mm
0: -hmm. What
1: happens right now is that Medicaid patients wait for months, if they can even have a doctor at all. They wait way too long before they can get in to see the doctor, and that's just uh, unconscionable. What needs Mm -hmm. to be done is – now, uh, you mentioned my book. Uh, As I have said, the solution to the whole damn problem of health care is to put uh, the control of money and the decision-making for uh, medical care in the hands of patients rather than the government. Having said that, most people will turn around and say, well, yeah, okay, so – the middle class and certainly wealthy people can afford to put money into an HSA and and then shop for their care and all these kinds of good things, you say, Waldman, but what about the people who are poor? The fact is, instead of having a government that is Washington, one-size-fits-all system that refuses, by the way, any personal responsibility, you can't have a, um, a work requirements for people in Medicaid, uh, the government of Washington doesn't allow it. If you read the book, you'll see that there are actually a couple of different ways that states, repeat states, can decide how they can structure a safety net for poor uh, people, for people with very uh, expensive um, uh, care, uh, kidney dialysis. Current charge for mm-hmm. kidney dialysis is over $10,000 a month. Well, there ain't a lot of people who can afford uh, $120,000 a year just to stay alive. So the state can create, and I, I have financial models in, a, in the book to show that this will actually work, the state can create safety nets for poor people and very, very high-risk, medically vulnerable people um, at a much reduced cost compared to what Medicaid is now consuming. Medicaid, just so you understand this, so people understand this, Medicaid is the number one expense in every, repeat, every state budget in the United States. I don't care what state you are in, uh, education is usually number two, and Medicaid is always number one. They spend more money california Texas New York, Connecticut, I don't care um, they spend more money because they have to by federal law they spend more money on Medicaid than on anything else
0: so you, you so so you get get covered by Medicaid, but you get uh, you, you get compromised services and result. you get
1: very delayed services um there's this story in the on the internet which you know, you want to be depressed. I'm sorry to bring this up, but of a of a child who was actually in Maryland, a place called uh, King George County in Maryland, who uh, simply had a toothache, but there was no uh, no one in the area who a pediatric dentist who would accept uh, Medicaid rates, so the kid never got care. His uh, tooth uh, decay turned into an abscess. The abscess then to his brain. He then had a brain abscess and got admitted emergently to the hospital because of seizures, and he ended up having brain surgery and dying about six, seven months later, uh, all because no one would uh, accept the low Medicaid reimbursement schedule. And so that story is not unique. Unfortunately, there are lots... Of there was a report. Another thing uh, that's actually referenced in the book. Um, Nick Horton showed a, a study of seventy-eight, uh, seven hundred fifty-seven. Sorry, seven hundred fifty-seven people in Illinois who were on Medicaid who died waiting in line for technically possible care that just never uh, uh, um, they never got because they're waiting mm-hmm. forever. What's known as death by queue. Um, and uh, that is all too frequent in the Medicaid system. Mm-hmm. So they say, oh, well, you know, you got no charge insurance, uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. X or Child X, but uh, – and you got uh, – so you don't have to worry, and now you're insured, but they don't bother to say, and that insurance is kind of worthless because there are too few doctors and you wait forever to to come in. And this is government-provided, no charge insurance, which I say is almost worthless.
0: Gene, I have to ask you this question. What happened um, to philanthropic uh, um, oh. um, uh, opportunities from doctors yes. who are there serving? I mean, what happened to that whole value system? <laughs> uh,
1: again, funny funny you should ask that. I got into big trouble at the University of Chicago. I come from a medical family, you, uh, you know this from background. Um, basically, everybody in my family for the last four generations have been doctors. So I grew up in in this um, uh, world of what's known as professional courtesy, which means that if a doctor or especially a nurse comes into your office, you either charge them minimally, you don't charge them at all for whatever it is they need. So I was at the University of Chicago. I'd only been there like six months or a year. And one of the nurses who I uh, knew not that well, but I ran across her a couple of times, brought her child in. Uh, the child had a heart murmur, and and I listened to him, and I said, well, you know, I don't think it's much of anything, but we should probably get an echo and just make sure that uh, uh, the hole that I think is there is really a tiny one. So we did the echo, which, by the way, is an expensive test over $2,000 for an echo, cardiogram, And um turns out it was a little tiny hole. It was not a big deal, but it did cause some noise. So that's what the murmur was. And I said, don't worry about this. He doesn't need surgery. He doesn't need medicine, whatever, and so forth. And she's walking out the door. Well, she's ready to walk out the door. And I'm signing the billing form, um, and I sign professional courtesy on the billing form, which, and then I uh, said, professional courtesy, comma, no charge, okay, because they didn't want to charge her, okay? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, Maybe a day or two later, I get a call from the chief financial officer of the University of Chicago, basically taking me to task, saying, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. What do you Not, mean allowed you? Not
0: allowed.
1: Not allowed. Against the rules, we have to charge everybody equally. That's federal law. You can't give professional courtesy. And I'm telling you, uh, I kind of lost it in that meeting. And he came back with, hey, if you want to close the hospital because we'll be out of compliance with federal laws, uh, we're going to have to uh, terminate you because we can't afford that. Now what am I supposed to do? Um, So, yeah, professional courtesy, philanthropy, uh, uh, Catholic. Care systems that actually has a different name used to, back in the uh, 1800s and, uh, well, not so much 1800s, but certainly the 1900s, um, provided a lot of medical care for indigent uh, people. And they were, I've got to tell you, they were great. They didn't take care of just Catholics, they took care of anybody who really needed their care. It was uh, a truly wonderful system, and basically, as the government programs came to pass, namely Medicare and Medicaid, 1965, uh, much of—not all—but much of that charitable medical care went away, mm-hmm. and it's—it's uh, it's a great loss, um, well, uh, both emotionally as well as medically, for our people.
0: 15. Gene, one quick question. Where, What state is the best state that you are aware of to get good health care? Is there one?
1: I wish I could say there is. Uh, got to say things are better here in Texas than in the other places I have been, specifically California is a disaster. Uh, the East Coast, you know, where I went to school and in Boston and, and uh, New Haven and the uh, uh, Northeast, if you're wealthy, great, wonderful. If you're not, mm-hmm. that's a big, big problem.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 And I want to just say, uh, before we end the show, uh, the the HSA, because we spent a lot of time talking about the value of the HSA, allowed me to get acupuncture and other alternative treatments, which Absolutely got paid true. for Absolutely true. At the moment.
1: And I and I hope people will not only exactly. uh, create their own HSAs but pay attention to rules that govern it because I am fearful that what you just said is true. And right now you can use your HSA for pretty much anything that uh, that you think is good medicine for you. But I can easily see a change where the IRS will suddenly start saying, Oh, well, no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. That, that, uh, that naturopathic, uh, medicine that you said. I take, uh, Texas Clear. Texas Clear is a, um, uh, medicine that really works to reduce allergic rhinitis and, and teary eyes here in Texas and, uh, other places, uh, in different, um, uh, agricultural zones have their own, uh, 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 uh homeopathic anti-allergy meds they actually work and they work pretty damn well well i can easily see i can pay for it out of the hsa i can easily see the government saying oh no 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 you got to take zyrtec or whatever because that's what doctors approve and we won't pay for your your uh alternative medicines Uh, and what i'm saying is people should be paying attention to those rules and make sure that you're in contact with legislators. If they change those rules or talk about changing those rules, stand up and say, no, we don't want the government to tell us how to spend our HSA money. We should decide that.
0: Well, we're at the end of the show, Dean, and I wanna say it's been such a pleasure um having this conversation with you because, you know, I feel your passion, integrity, and real A real care and service to all of us out there in the world trying to stay healthy. And, uh, I encourage everyone to go visit Dean's website, which is, um, let me just find it here. What's the best website, Dean? It's, it's, um,
1: it's just deanwaldman.com. My mother put an E on the end of Dean 80 years ago on my (laughs) business, on my, on my birth certificate. And I've been paying for that ever since. So I have to tell people my name is D-E-A-N-E. W-A-L-D-M-A-N. And, and by the way, I encourage people to read the book, Curing the Cancer in U.S. Healthcare. I wrote it for the general public. I did not write it for other MDs or MBAs or PhDs or policy wonks or politicians because they don't want what I'm proposing. What I'm proposing is that patients take back control of their own lives. And that book is an easy read. It's a short read, but it gives the public the information they yes. need to control their own lives.
0: I agree. It's, it's it's shocking. It's a bit of a wake-up call. And if you've ever been caught in the health care trap, uh, you'll want to get this book and share it with others. It's an empowering book, Dean. Thank you so much for your passion and all the great work you're doing. To support all of us to get the best healthcare possible. But we need to stand up for ourselves as well, which is the message. And I will follow up with Keith Smith if we can get him on the show. Thanks for that connection. And to all of you listening, thanks again for joining me here on What Women Must Know. This is Dr. Cheryl Summon. We've been having this great conversation with Dr. Dean Walden. And uh, pick up a copy of Curing the Cancer in the U.S. Healthcare System. Until next time. uh, always on to the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now. Great conversation, Dean. Thank you.